From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome. We here at the Wealth DNA Radio Show are honored that you're joining us today. Now whether you're on the West Coast where our guest is, you're sipping a cup of coffee, on the East Coast getting ready for lunch, in Europe you're heading home, you're somewhere in between, or you're listening to the archive of the show, I'm sure you'll be glad you joined us. As always, we have a great topic planned for you. On the Wealth DNA Radio Show, we focus on the fundamentals investing and seldom cover current events since we want the archive of the show just to, you know, to be just as relevant, you know, say 20 years from now, as listening live. Well, today, I do want to mention one topic which could prove to be, it may not, but it may prove to be a seminal event for the European Union and central banks in general. Now, the reason it's worth spending a few minutes on is the media, including the financial media, is doing an awful job of summarizing the ECB's, and by that, of course, I mean the European Central Bank's meeting this past Thursday. This is also closely related to a critical topic we discussed a few times earlier this year when celebrating the fifth anniversary of the equity bull market. Now, if you read the financial headlines and Twitter-length snippets that are typical of news stories today, you might assume that European banks are now paying their depositors a negative interest rate. I've even heard comments like, uh, well, bring your toaster in before we'll take your deposit. Very misleading. We obviously want our listeners of the Wealth DNA Radio Show to understand what was really announced and its significance. The reality is there are actually several aspects of their announcement to help stimulate the economy and bring inflation up from what's borderline deflation levels today. The first aspect, they'll be buying up $400 billion of loans or asset-backed securities, just like the Fed's been doing since, oh, somewhere around 2009 or so, but on a much bigger scale. And they've been using the cryptic name QE, or quantitative easing. My reaction to this one is simple. It hasn't stimulated the U.S. economy. So why does the ECB think doing less might work better? Incidentally, Mr. Market responded pretty much the way I did. Following a dramatic stimulus with the potential for increasing inflation, the announcement should have had a negative effect on the euro. In reality, the exchange rate barely wavered and actually strengthened the next few days slightly against the U.S. dollar. So Mr. Market's reaction was very similar to the reaction of the last six years of money printing in the U.S., which should have weakened the U.S. dollar dramatically. And yet, there's been very little, if any, weakening during that time. Although, admittedly, asset values have more than doubled, and hopefully that includes yours. The second aspect is the interest rate on bank refinancing operations was lowered from 0.25% to 0.15%. Related, the third aspect is the interest rates that banks are charged when they borrow money from the ECB. That was lowered from 0.75% to 0.4%. Now, to put these two in perspective for our listeners in the U.S., the Fed has been charging banks between 0 and 0.25% for several years now. Now, I couldn't tell you exactly which banks pay which interest rate. It's probably driven by the size of the bank's assets and what percentage of their donations are go to the Fed's favorite political party versus the other party. Anyway, the fourth aspect of their announcement, I think, is the most significant. Prior to this announcement, the ECB was paying zero on excess reserves that banks had parked or deposited with them. So even prior to the announcement, European banks had no incentive to hold excess reserves since they borrowed money from the ECB at rates higher than they would get, depositing them back with the ECB. But the ECB took a step further and said, we're going to reduce that 0% to the to minus 0.1%. In other words, banks will be charged to park money with the ECB, providing a very clear incentive to lend that money into the economy versus sitting on it. 
Now, this may be the very rare moment in history where banks get a worse deal on their deposits than the consumer does. Let's contrast that to the U.S., where banks are able to borrow between 0 and 0.25%, as I mentioned. They get paid 0.25 by the Fed to park any excess reserves. So in the worst case, banks earn nothing by borrowing, but they don't lose anything either. And in the best case, they're earning an infinite return on other people's money. And you know that stands for other people's money. So it's no surprise that over the last six years, bank excess reserves in the U.S. have risen from, are you ready, from zero dollars, and it stayed that way for decades, to $2.6 trillion. And even with a mere 0.1% spread, let's say that's the average, it sure makes banks' earnings look very good. Now, the bottom line, if the Fed monitors the ECB's decision and sees that the European economy is expanding and their inflation rate is rising, they might finally realize what I've been saying, that they've been doing the wrong stimulus program. Even a minor reduction in the amount the Fed pays banks to park excess reserves could dramatically stoke the U.S. economic engine. Now, you may recall the number I mentioned earlier this year. It could be as much as $20 trillion entering the economy. Now, for those of you starting to budget for double and triple-digit uh, uh, returns on your stock portfolio, think about the negative ramifications on the bond market and potential double-digit inflation, which, by the way, is a good segue to our main topic, long-term care. Now, if you don't see the connection between these two topics, you will by the end of the show. I promise. Today is June 9th, 2014. It is 9.07. Oh, I'm running behind schedule. In both Arizona and the West Coast and 18.07 in continental Europe. It's the only day ever like it, so we'll do everything possible to make it a great one. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. This show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. If you didn't receive a reminder of the show, you might want to connect with us on Twitter or Facebook where we post reminders. Just connect with the Ronald, all one word. And uh, we'll uh, also like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix Scottsdale area, for helping us put together and share some great information for you. Now, I certainly hope you can join us each time we are, but if you miss a show, you can find it on the archives. Just go to www.wealthdna. US, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Now, we welcome your comments and questions during the show. I recommend using the chat window under the radio player. And, of course, as I say that, I always realize that I had not yet looked at it, but there is a chat window under the radio player. Or if you're calling in, uh, you, that number, of course, is 917-388-4162. You can just ask uh, the uh, producer to put you through or give him your question or comment. And by the way, that number is also at the top of the screen on the Internet. Since our last show, the U.S. equity market registered, are you ready, seven new highs. Despite the two negative signals I mentioned recently, the U.S. equity market's off to a positive start today. Asia was up. Europe was just, which of course just closed, was mixed, and Brazil is up. Today's special guest to discuss long-term care is Lynn Rowe, a care management specialist. She grew up in the Midwest, graduated from the University of California, and obtained her CFP, or Certified uh, Financial Planning degree, from the Denver College for Financial Planning. And actually, I know several people that uh, went to the Denver College. She started her career in the insurance business in San Diego, and from there went into full-service financial planning as a CFP. She stepped away from her successful practice about three years ago and went back to her roots, focusing on the risk management side of financial planning, which, of course, includes long-term care. Let's give a warm radio welcome to Lynn Rowe. Welcome, Lynn, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Ron, and good morning to you. And uh, we are on the same time zone, so uh, this is the part, of the time of the year that we're on the same time zone, so it makes it a little bit easier. Now, I gave a brief overview of your background. How do you introduce yourself at a cocktail party? Well, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, you know, I, I consider myself a total care financial planner. In other mm -hmm. words, uh, Ron, I, I emphasize more on the planning side for the total care 
But at the same time, I don't exclude financial planning from the advice I give about care planning. And um, it's, a, it's a comprehensive approach. And I have actually um, embraced that, as, as you mentioned earlier, for the last three years, but I did it before with my clients. And uh, so I've had a lot of experience with that. Okay, so already in the insurance side, you were already uh, involved <laughs> yes. in that. I understand. Now, but having a, you know, being a CFP and focusing on LTC, if I met with somebody, just randomly picked somebody in the phone book to talk to about long-term care, would that be typical? Would they typically be a CFP? Well, not generally speaking. Um, I find that a lot of folks in the, on the CFP side are much more comfortable because that was the training that we received um, in the investment side of things. It's, it's um, the area where people are more concerned with growing their wealth. And if they do address, mm-hmm. if the certified financial planner does address the aspect of of uh, extended care planning, as I call it, it's frequently done in kind of a cursory manner, which leaves, in my opinion, clients vulnerable to the largest potential threat to their financial security. Okay. Um, now, on the other hand, are there people that are, that are, if you will, dealing with long-term care or selling some sort of long-term care policies, long-term care policies uh, that aren't CFPs? There are. There are very knowledgeable people who are not CFPs who have specialized in long-term care, um, and um, they're very, very uh, knowledgeable. But, again, they don't approach it from what I call the total care planning approach. It's um, Typically, they're very focused on the insurance side of things, which is a very important tool, but it's not the only solution, and it's not the only thing that needs to be considered when you're doing total care planning. That sounds like we'll be talking about that a little bit more later on. Yes. <laughs> now, is there some legal or industry definition of uh, you know what is uh, somebody that's qualified for requiring long-term care? Well, you know, there are triggers. Um, and by triggers, I mean um, the insurance industry has, has given two basic triggers for needing long-term care, and facilities are going um, down the same road. One of the triggers is that you need to need help with six activities of daily living. You need to need help with at least two out of the six. And, Mm -hmm. for example, those include bathing, eating, dressing, toileting, transferring, and incontinence. So if two of those are problematic and you require help with them, then that typically is when you need care. Um, Or severe cognitive impairment, and that means that you need supervision. But uh, the, the help with the two out of the six activities of daily living even breaks down further. You can need standby help, which means, you know, I, I'm not steady on my feet, but I can take my own shower. Mm-hmm. Or you could need hands-on help, which means because of the, the stroke and the severity of the stroke, I can't do the shower myself. So Okay, so there are also those levels of how much help you need. Okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, before we dig into the specifics, would you share with our listeners how they'd learn more about you, your website, uh, if you want to share an email address, any of those things that would help people, especially some, some of our, uh, what I'll, I'll call the multitaskers that like to look things up and check things out sure. while they're listening? Sure. My website is IWantMyLTC.net, and it's just mm-hmm. how it sounds, I-W-A-N-T-M-Y-L-T-C.net, IWantMyLTC.net. Or if you want to do it the old-fashioned way, you can pick up the phone and call me. And that's 877-270-3127. And I assume on that website, as a matter of fact, I know the answer to this. That phone number is listed right up in the upper right-hand corner. So if they didn't write it down fast enough. And we'll make sure we cover that before we close. Now, I first heard you on the Ray Lucia show, which undoubtedly was one of the top two shows investors, uh, and I'm sure he'd say that he is number one and we're number two, but uh, uh, that's okay. We can argue about that. But let's just say that that both try to serve their audiences uh, well, and I think Ray does a great job. How did you get to meet Ray? Well, actually, Ray and I go back a few years. He and I became partners about 15 years ago, and he's been a tremendous mentor for me. And as you mentioned, um, I had a practice of nearly 1,200 clients uh, when Mm -hmm. I was working with Ray. And he observed a couple of things. He asked me actually to step back from that practice because he saw that I had embraced the total care planning as part of creating the wealth management strategies for my clients. But he also observed that other planners, maybe newer to the business, 
didn't encompass the extended care within their plans, and that seemed to be what he thought, and I agree with, a large flaw in the process. And it was shortly after that that his wife took over my role as the one to get him to address it in his own financial plan. She succeeded, by the way. <laughs> Interesting. Yes, no, I know. He, he, he's he's mentioned that. I, I just was wondering if you had, had worked together on that, but I didn't realize you were partners way back when. So what might have appeared that he was trying to kick you out of the business and, and put his wife in that role uh, <laughs> turned out to be uh, actually good advice, it sounds like. It was indeed. He He did a great job of planning that for him and his wife, and it was because her best friend's husband needed care, and uh, and she was panicking, and and Jeannie was watching it, and she turned to Ray and said, "Honey, we're getting long-term care insurance." Yeah, very, very, uh, very <laughs> and interesting. That was that. <laughs> yeah, and and you know that's usually the case. It's like buying a house. The man's role is to say yes, dear. <laughs> now, uh, can you help listeners, whether they live uh, on the East Coast or somewhere in the U.S. or even worldwide, or strictly in California? Actually, um, I, as a result of being on Ray's show, but also doing a lot of seminars around the country, I work mm-hmm. with people all over the United States. And so I am on the phone every day with people from lots of different states. I haven't worked in internationally and mm-hmm. um, with, the, with the insurance side of things. So uh, it's been strictly the United States, but definitely able to help with people in New Jersey and Florida and Texas and Arizona and, and so on. Although there's a lot of American citizens living overseas, as I was for 13 years, so uh, some Indeed. of those are our listeners. So they obviously can take advantage of it as well, because I'm sure you can do things by Skype and telephone, not just by personal meetings. So exactly. I'm sure that's all possible. Okay, now yeah. let me use my father as an example. Uh, after my pa- uh, mother passed away, he lived to the age of 99, which, and you know, the place he lived I'd describe as kind of a three, four star independent living facility. Very nice place. They provided him a major meal, helped with housekeeping, staff would drive him to doctor's appointments. He eventually helped them with some of, you know, his uh, making sure his meds were organized and he was taking them. Would he qualify as needing long term care? Actually, it's a great question because you are very blessed. Um, He does not sound like he needs help with activities of daily living, nor does Mm -hmm. he sound like he is cognitively impaired. So he Mm -hmm. is in a a facility or a community setting which provides, you know, with the uh, living arrangement that he has, provides the conveniences like preparing your meals, housekeeping, Mm -hmm. transportation, and so on, but, but doesn't need the care. And frankly, I think entrepreneurs could offer this type of community living to working folks and do a great service for us. <laughs> oh, absolutely so. And, and I assume that cooking is not one of those uh, six, uh, six impairments uh, since he never could cook even back when, uh, no, when he was young. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in hindsight, I, I probably did the right thing by not making any special arrangement for his long-term care given his income uh, level. And, and you know, basically I was able to generate that income from his, his uh, modest portfolio plus his Social Security and uh, you know, able to cover his living expenses for a place that wasn't cheap but you know affordable given given that income so it sounds like i made the right decision it sounds like you did a great job of planning for him consider though and this might be down the road um if he does require care he is possibly eligible for va benefits right where he lives so well, and that's one we did look into that. It just uh, maybe with all the VA scandals that turned out to be <laughs> um, better off just go ahead and pay the bill and, and, and deal with yeah. it. But, but Lynn, obviously my father's story isn't the norm. Are there some official statistics on how many people require long-term care versus those that are uh, like my father who, who uh, you know, manages on his own and, and can, you know, live a, a, a decent life and, you know, with just a little bit of help or, as you said, a kind of a community arrangement you know that's a great question ron with these statistics oftentimes it sounds like it's hyperbole but 70 percent of all couples are expected to need extended care for one or both 70 percent and i'll bring it home a little bit closer if you and your best friend were standing in the room together one -hmm. of the two of you is expected to need long-term care in your lifetimes now that's true for guys if your wife's best friend and my best friend were in the room and the four of us were having a chat, according to the stats, one out of four of us might not need long-term care in our lifetimes. And I'd like to hmm. think it's going to be me. 
Right. Well, it's obviously like me in my <laughs> case of standing here with anybody else. But uh, you know, you never, I guess you can't count on these things. There's a lot of factors mm-hmm. which, you know, obviously we can't cover all of them. But you know, as I read some of the the major ailments and, and and take a look at what's going on, we obviously see you know major increases in things like dementia, Alzheimer's, diabetes. One of these. Um, Kind of good terms for what's a, becoming a huge problem, not, uh, no pun intended. And mm-hmm. but we see decreases in deaths from heart disease, cancer, HIV, because we've got all these medical advances. Now, I put those all together, is the likelihood that percentage uh, that require long-term care will grow or shrink? Um, there's no question it will grow, and there are some statistics okay. that uh, that we should cover. Uh, about that, because those are kind of uh, kind of telling. Um, okay, then hold off on hold off on the statistics sure. for just one second. Let me remind our listeners: you're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. Look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. If you've missed some of the prior shows, like the several I mentioned earlier, or you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive of shows on Wealth DNA. If you'd like to get an email reminder of the shows, just send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Or you can follow The Ronald, all one word, on Twitter or Facebook. Now, a reminder, during the radio show, we welcome you, our listeners, to ask questions. The easiest is to start a chat in the area below the radio player or call in at number 917-388-4162, which is also shown at the top of the screen when you come to the show. Our topic today is long-term care, which we're discussing with Lynn Rowe, a CFP, care management specialist, and clearly an expert in long-term care. Okay, Lynn, let's let's talk about some of those statistics a little bit deeper in terms of uh, of long-term care. Because as I asked you the question, for example, death rates are coming down, but that doesn't mean that people aren't dealing with suffering through that time or requiring care because they're dealing with cancer or with um, HIV, heart disease, any of those things. So even though the cure rates are better, I guess that doesn't mean they won't need care. Well, and you said it very well. You summarized what I'm about to expand on here. Because well, go for it. <laughs> since 2000, heart and stroke statistical data from the American Heart Association tells us that the chances of surviving a heart attack have now improved from 20%, say, in 2000 for that first heart attack, to about mm-hmm. 65%. Mm-hmm. That's huge. And yeah. stroke is much more dramatic, slightly over 20% in 2000. Now those folks uh, survived to the tune of 80% of those victims of the first uh, stroke. So you can see that, that you're right, that they are living longer. Likewise, the American Cancer Society facts and figures tells us that the chances of surviving cancer have also improved from slightly over 20% to nearly 75%. Wow. So here's the key, though. There's a price for that. And in 2007, over 50% of bankruptcies were caused by excess medical expenses, and 79% of those folks had health insurance. Mm. Now, yeah. And likewise, um, if you look at what's happened with um, the foreclosures in 2008, for example, 50% of the foreclosures were due to debt from medical causes. Now, do we think this is improving? Um, probably not, because today right. approximately 70% of the people in skilled nursing facilities are on Medicaid. And a year ago, that was estimated to cost taxpayers over $130 billion per year. Well, I recently saw an article in Bloomberg, I'm sorry, I recently saw an article in Bloomberg referring to this as the silent financial killer in our midst. Oh, there's no so, doubt. There's no doubt. And again, this is diabetes or, or obesity in general and, and diabetes, which tends to, to, to follow, uh, seems to be maybe one of the biggest financial crises uh, facing the U.S. It's not the uh, not necessarily other budget items uh, like uh, defense that everybody complains about, but it, mm. you know, it really is uh, a huge drain on, on the economy. I see U.S. more affected than others, but most of the Western economies are following the U.S. waistline. Mm-hmm. Now, Scary. if I may, uh, you know, sure. these people in care that, that are now on welfare and, and skilled nursing, you know, you kind of ask the question, were they, were they just flakes or were they irresponsible or, or what was, you know, what was the deal? On the contrary, these were hardworking, responsible folks who taught school, built homes, flew planes, they worked in restaurants, hotels, assembled mm-hmm. cars. I mean, you name it, they did it. And they saved. 
they were people who were very frugal and lived within their means during their working years, but now they're on welfare. And you've got to ask, why? Because they didn't know about planning for extended care. And I believe that many planners today, myself included, didn't cover the territory well enough for them. Yeah, I don't know if, if there were as many options or as much available information back then. Of course, you know, again, years ago, those those survival rates were a lot lower. So somebody figured if if I get hit with any of those, it won't matter. Yeah, we didn't keep up with medicine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Now, while yes. we're talking about some of these statistics, uh, assuming somebody does require long-term care, they cross into that that uh, magical threshold of the two of six, or maybe even three or four of the of the six, where they require help. Uh, what is a typical amount? Or are there some averages around how much they need uh, during their lifetime to spend on life, long-term care? Well, um, what impacts um, the cost of care the most? is the increases. Um, the cost of care has gone up by 4% a year since 1976, and that's mm-hmm. pretty amazing. The, the, um, if you look at the average cost today in skilled nursing across the nation, that's about 81000 for four years, and, uh, or 81000 rather, for a year. And um, that 81000 a year, if you just take it out, say, you know, 15 years, that mm-hmm. can turn into about six hundred thousand dollars out of your capital. So it's it's not just what does it cost today; it's what's it going to cost at the time I think I'm going to need it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's where that the planning cost. comes in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So is eighty-one thousand a year kind of a, a good average I could use as, as just kind of a benchmark to tell me you know what I'm likely to spend? It's truly an average because it, it's so dramatically different from uh, area to area. New England, the average is about 150000 a year right now. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And right. we don't so, want to talk about Alaska. Um, okay. <laughs> it's almost I won't, 600 that, a day in Alaska. Holy crow. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. I, I just uh, One of my uh, investors happens to have moved from Alaska not long ago. And I'm going to ask him for curiosity if he's, he's kind of bumped into that or seen, you know, the, the, the scale of those costs. Of course, it's an expensive place to live. Uh, why anybody lives there, I don't know. But uh, I assume the other thing would be it also depends on the, the quality of care facility you choose. So if, you know, if somebody were in a, in a uh, assisted living, let's say, that was in that three- to four-star category like my father, then uh, that would be a very different uh, price than if they go to, you know, the the uh, uh, you know one one star type place that just ba- basically provides uh, enough of the essentials. Well, um, let's let's define our terms because okay. um, it sounds like your dad is actually in a retirement. Uh, yeah, his is independent care. No, I'm, just, I'm just thinking mm-hmm. about the quality. They also had an assisted living there, and they had um, um, you know the. Uh, what do they call it, uh, mental health uh, living mm-hmm. as well, where somebody had uh, you know, strong disabilities. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, that's, that, I was getting there. Yeah. <laughs> My memory <laughs> failing me. But, uh, with that, so, but, you know, that was a much higher level of, of you know, quality facility. You know, this was a top-notch mm-hmm. place where, you know, you wouldn't mind spending you know, a couple of weeks on vacation versus exactly. you know, other places I've seen that we always think of as old age homes. Mm-hmm. Well, so that and- level would change it. Right. There are, there are, basically, there are three levels of care. There's what we call skilled nursing, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It looks like a hospital, sounds like a hospital, people running around in uniforms that look like they work in a hospital, equipment that looks like it belongs in a hospital because it is, in fact, skilled nursing. Mm-hmm. And then assisted living, I always liken that to a dormitory where mm-hmm. you have your own room or you might share yep. a room, but you have your own furniture in there, and it kind of looks like home. Mm-hmm. And um, but you still have an assisted living type uh, facility where people can come in and help you with those activities of daily living. They can help you with the bathing and the dressing and transferring into the wheelchair if you use a wheelchair, and maybe getting to that common meal area if you need the help with that. But but the assisted living facility is a different level of care. Now what's interesting is most people think of the level those two levels of care as long term care. Well, mm-hmm, the truth mm-hmm. is that there's a third level, and that's called home care. And okay, sure. most people, as we say, think of the other types. So the assisted mm-hmm. living facilities are generally less than the skilled nursing. The skilled nursing, on average, about 81000 a year. The assisted living um, can be anywhere from four to 5000 a month, depending on, you know, again, the mm-hmm. area. Correct. All of those, those two uh, levels of care, you can count on it. 
historically we have seen about a 4 to 5% increase each year in that cost of, of care. And yet that comprises about 30% of the claims for long-term care insurance going in. The rest of it, the 70%, is hmm. home care because people want to be at home. They want to be with their family. They want to be with their pets. They want to be with their kids and grandkids. They just want to be at home. And so that's one of the levels of care that seem to be um, more in need than anything else right now. Interesting. I would have expected. I expected a flip flop of that. So good. I'm, I'm writing down a lot of stuff as we talk. By the way, so I'm, I'm I'm learning a lot. There's no doubt about it. Now, would mm-hmm. it be an oversimplification to say that someone has a portfolio uh, that exceeds the amount that they would expect to spend on long-term care, or maybe double that amount, that they don't need to set up some separate arrangement for long-term care? I would say it's an oversimplification. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's lots of aspects that, that impact on them. But what state do they live in? Um, right. As we okay. said, the average cost of care in New England is about 150000 a year. What are their resources? Um, does their plan currently require they maintain capital to provide income for the, for the spouse at home, as we call it, or the spouse mm-hmm. who is not uh, disabled? How liquid is the capital? Um, and if they deplete the capital, how will that impact the income that the, the spouse at home needs and, and the other obligations? These are just a few questions inherent in the planning process that they need to do. Okay, so you've, you've covered a number, which kind of touches on the, the question I was going to ask, but let me move ahead with this question anyway, just because I think there may be some aspects that, that we didn't, uh, which is you consider the long-term care aspect, obviously, to, to be very important or you wouldn't be doing this. Uh, why did you kind of switch to that? Is it people are living longer, uh, more baby boomers, and, and, and there'd be more coming, or what were some of the reasons behind that? Well, the first reason, as we discussed, was that uh, my, my friend and partner said, you know what, you, you've done a great job with your clients, but there are a lot of folks who aren't doing that, and we can see what impact that's having and how that's working. But as I said before, you, you know, in your case of your dad, you're very blessed. Um, sure. If I may, Ron, how many kids do you have? Uh, two. Two. Okay. Two. So, as so hopefully example, longevity passes on. <laughs> great. Yeah, that's right. Um, as an example, if you ever need care, which you won't, a physical impairment would so compromise you that those you invited into your life that you said you would take responsibility for would have no choice but to put aside their lives to take care of you. And people mm-hmm. kind of question that. But as these types of impairments progress, they become all-consuming. Uh, mm-hmm. They cause uh, basically two sets of unintended consequences. First, the emotional and physical well-being of your family is severely compromised. Um, Yeah. Providing care for you will make those you love as chronically ill as you are, and that's just Mm -hmm. a fact. Um, We see that uh, taking care of chronically ill will make healthy caregivers become chronically ill. And, in fact, a recent study um, that I heard about Uh, found that the life expectancy of a primary informal caregiver is now shorter than the person that they're caring for. Wow. Yeah. Scary scary stuff, yeah. It is scary stuff because it often forces a child to put his or her life aside. And it creates friction with siblings who don't assist, which means providing care doesn't bring families together. It often tears them apart. Many times it causes irreversible consequences. Now, Again, it's not going to happen, but if it did, it would compel Mm -hmm. at least one child to put aside his or her life. And if we play that out, um, if you needed care, for example, which you won't, but let's say you do, you're so fragile, you're no longer safe, your wife tries Mm -hmm. to provide the care, but she buckles from the responsibility, and the kids, the two kids don't contribute 50% each, generally one will step up thinking that, you know, that's their role and and Mm -hmm. so forth. Um, but if we think through what happens to that child's life after you and your spouse raise them to be independent, the other, the other child is not likely to participate, which creates a schism between them. Sure. And my experience tells me that there's a very good chance that um, it's not going to draw the family together. It could tear them apart, as we said. But um, your life doesn't end when you need care. That child's life ends when, when you need care. 
And the cost of that care to that child oftentimes is about $300,000 before it's done. Wow. So, no, yeah. Yeah, it is scary stuff. And, and and I think I can, you know, as you're talking about these things, I think I can point to, you know, personal examples. People fit in every one of those categories, um, including my, my sister trying to bring my father in prior to moving to the uh, independent living and uh, assuming if she lived with, you know, he lived with her and her husband that uh, things would be a little bit easier. Uh, that turned, <laughs> my, my, my advice was don't do it. And then, of course, in mm-hmm. hindsight, it was good advice. But uh, anyway, everything worked out in the end, but that was a disaster in their own relationship relationship as well as as uh you know the the uh, kind of family stress that it caused so uh, yeah you know absolutely can echo those things it just you don't think of them ahead of time until you know somebody broaches the topic now i assume there's several approaches to long-term care let's start with what, what i've kind of mentioned which is kind of the do nothing approach what advice would you give people who just want to ignore this aspect of financial planning that it won't happen to me don't <laughs> okay don't well, ignore that's... it Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I um, think the statistics you mentioned the point to that. Yeah, and and you said something that was very poignant a second ago, and that was okay. because the topic never came up, and right. that's where I try my best to facilitate discussions between parents and children because the more the children know about the preferences of their parents with regard to their care, the much easier it's going to be on the children, and the much easier it's going to be on the parents. What are your preferences? Do you want to be at home? If you can, um, you know, do you think moving is something that, that you would want to do in, the, in those situations? I mean, just walk it through and think it through and, and have that discussion. If you want to use your own assets, if that's the goal, what do we sell first? Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting discussion to have because paying for the care can disrupt every plan you've created to secure a sense of financial viability in the future. I mean, it requires a reallocation of resources starting with income, and that has a direct impact on your ability to keep future financial commitments. And um, if the need for care lasts long enough, it causes an unintended invasion of capital. And the purpose of capital assets is to produce predictable streams of income, as we know. So using the capital to pay for care creates a host of disruptive impacts in itself, such as unnecessary taxes, in addition to the fact that if you set up a really good financial, or excuse me, uh, estate plan, which provides the ability for stepped-up basis on many of the assets, mm-hmm. then that could be uh, negatively impacted. Plus, you now have a negative market timing uh, situation. The way yeah, no, you, you cash you, out those assets. Yeah, you know, I think you just touched on something which again I hadn't thought about, which would be that the kids start looking at that aspect and saying, well, wait a minute, there won't be any money left. Why don't we try to reduce that cost by, you know, kind of stepping in and helping. Bingo. Uh, and, and that kind of, uh, you know, good idea in itself then drains their assets, drains them physically, mentally, all that kind of stuff. So very, very, you know, good good points that you're making. I think very, very helpful. And hopefully, you know, I kind of feel good that we're having the show because that kind of says we brought the topic up to our listeners. So there we go, at least, you know, bringing up the topic and getting to think through that a little bit and, and, and you know, not do nothing and not to assume that uh, the money that they save will be sufficient. Now, Lynn, it seems that most financial planners merely focus on building that portfolio and then calculating the percentage they can withdraw each year. Uh, Is it possibly that the financial planning industry is part of the problem? I'd say we're very remiss in that situation. And and you brought up a good point. I mean, if we go back 20, 30 years, the the industry did not have the data that it has today. And so um, it wasn't imparted to the public and certainly wasn't imparted to the financial planners. But as time went on and uh, we have seen the need for extended care growing because of the extending of life expectancy, you would think that that they would catch on, we would catch on. Um, And I don't think we have caught on. And that's part of my role is to help get, raise that awareness level of those planners so that we can start to help our clients much more effectively. Okay. Now, after hearing the statistics and having taken the time to tune in, the vast majority of listeners uh, want to know what options they have. Tell us about them. And I'm going to make a, a simple assumption that long-term care insurance, which, of course, I'm familiar with, is probably the most common. Mm-hmm. It is. <clears throat> pardon me. And it's the most, it's the most uh, cost-effective. I mean, if you just put a pencil to it, you can pretty much realize that 
if you leverage your dollars into a long-term care insurance policy, then it's cheaper than, than depleting your capital. And as we've already said, it's certainly a lot more appealing than letting the kids to, um, go into the capital because they don't know where to start. And for fear of doing the wrong thing, they, they try to step up and do the planning themselves, and, and they pay the price. But there are other things to consider we touched on. For example, people are eligible oftentimes for VA benefits, and in the planning process we will assess whether or not they, they are eligible for those benefits. So if somebody needs care today, that's one of the first things we do is look for the resources like the VA benefits. But sometimes um, just doing asset allocation between a husband and wife can have a dramatic uh, role. If we've uh, encountered a situation where someone might be uninsurable and the ultimate need for their care is on the horizon, we just don't know when, then doing asset allocation between that husband and wife can, uh, can start to put assets aside for the capital, I should say, aside for her to receive the income. Let's say you know, he needs the care without disrupting her income and uh, hopefully help uh, him become eligible for any benefits he's entitled to. So um, so those things can be um, considered. And then another um, aspect is critical care coverage, oftentimes much easier to obtain than long-term care insurance if someone is uninsurable and can actually generate a lump sum of capital when someone needs care for specific diagnoses or um, if they pass during that process, that, that income that they were receiving or that lump sum capital can actually pay out to the family. Okay, topics we need to dig in a little bit deeper, but let me, uh, before we continue, uh, for our listeners that just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. You can listen to the earlier portion in the archive, so if you missed prior shows or you missed part of this show, go to the archive on www. WealthDNA.us. Today, our guest is Lynn Rowe, a certified financial planner, care management specialist, and an expert in long-term care, which, by the way, is our topic today. <laughs> now, Lynn, let's go back to uh, the long-term care policies for a second. Are they individual policies, or are they for couples? I don't even know how, you know, do they, do they have both options? How do they work? Well, <clears throat> Pardon me, they are, generally speaking, individual plans, um, and you want it that way because you want to have your own coverage for lots of reasons. But you can kind of link them together through what we call shared care, and that's a tremendous benefit, which um, maybe in our next visit we can go through some of the pros mm-hmm. and cons of that, but it's, it's a wonderful way to be able to um, help each other out if the care goes longer than you anticipate it will. But having individual plans is is ultimately the way you should do it. Uh, interesting point about shared care. Didn't I guess I'm not real familiar with that. So again, that's that's a topic for another day. Uh, but it seems to me that and I think we've kind of touched on this a little bit. That the person, let's say they have a policy. Uh, or, or they don't uh, either either way, but they don't have sufficient coverage for the long care uh, long term care they need. Seems to me that they are less impacted than their spouse, their family, and uh, everybody around them. Yes, absolutely, and that's where um, sometimes underinsuring can be a problem. But you know, let's take a step back from that because I've talked with adult children many times who said, you know we paid for dad's care or we paid for mom's care. The three of us just split the bill, and that's mm-hmm. how we paid for their care. Well, um, if, you know, if we'd had a rich uncle who just kicked in a couple thousand bucks, it would have really helped. Well, I consider the insurance company to be the rich uncle. So at the very point. least, get some coverage that will take some of the pressure off. Okay, and, and in some ways, then, I guess it's analogous to life insurance. You don't buy it for yourself. You, re, you, you buy it for the, the remaining people and to make sure that they can continue to function normally while you're gone. So I guess from that standpoint, the, the long-term care and life insurance are, are really policies for the people around you, not for uh, yourself. Life insurance won't help me if I have it on myself, that's for sure. Yes and no. Um, one of the nice things about the long-term care insurance is that, that that can provide a kind of a an oversight, if you will, to the level of care um, because there are care coordinators that are involved in the insurance plans, and you can actually have a care coordinator come out, and they will come out 
every six months or so just to check on on your care and make sure that you're getting uh, quality care, which you wouldn't necessarily have if you didn't have the coverage. You'd be on your own figuring out how to do it and where to go and who to turn to and how to how to handle it. So, um, yeah. Again, another um, another topic that we'll have to dig into a little <laughs> bit more. Uh, yes. Now, is is long-term care insurance similar to health care insurance in that it covers, let's say, X percent of my qualified expenses and some sort of annual cap and maybe a lifetime max? Do they operate similarly? Actually, they don't, and and that's okay. good news because it typically it's much more um, straightforward and less complicated than that. So okay. you buy a benefit, and that benefit is is what's paid to you to to the maximum of that benefit up to whatever amount you're expending for the care. But when we're doing the planning, we talk about the percentages. So, for example, um, if we know that the cost of care in your particular area is going to be about 6000 a month, one of my questions will be in the planning process, if you had a $72,000 uh, annual bill today that's brand new, added on to your other expenses, how much would you want to transfer to somebody else, namely the insurance company? Okay, fair enough. Is either it's going to come out of my portfolio or from there. Okay. Yep. Yep. And if they say, "Well, I think I could probably handle, you know, twenty percent of that," then that tells me what that that benefit ought to be. So eighty percent of the seventy some thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and then we apply 56, that. Fifty-six, fifty-eight, whatever, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And we apply that to the benefit on the policy, and then we find out, and then we do a side-by-side comparison because I'm fascinated by this from from state to state, couple to couple. Um, one carrier could be more effective or more cost-effective than another, and I never really know which one's going to be the most cost-effective. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Now, is that benefit, when you when you quote the benefit, would it be, for example, 50000 a year, or would it be a $500,000 policy so that if it cost me 50, you know, if I did use 50000 a year, it would be 10 years' worth? Uh, which way are those quoted? Well, actually, you, you when you... By the plan, you cite the monthly or the daily benefit amount that you want, which ends okay. up creating that pool of money for you. And then you also uh, cite the benefit period that you want. could be two years, could be with some carriers ten years. So okay. you can determine how that looks. Um, but you do have a pool of money in the end. Once you've done the calculation, you have that pool of money, and you always own that pool of money. So, okay. Now, so, sometimes I'm hearing about these these various plans where they can kind of be multi-purpose. Uh, are there some life insurance or annuities that have long-term care components? So, so if I uh, buy that policy and I never use it, then it be, you know becomes life insurance or vice versa. Uh, are there some sort of hybrids of these policies? We call those linked benefits, and yes, those are okay. wonderful tools. Um, there are lots of ways to to um, do that. There are plans that um, require a lump sum, and once you've done it, you've done it. I mean, if you have the wherewithal to put in a, the capital and it's non-qualified money that it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg in taxes to, to access, then you can put it in there and you're done. You basically have self-insured up to the level of what you put in, and then your internal costs are the coverage. Whoops, you're still there. I, did we just lose you, Lynn? Mid-sentence, I'm not hearing you, Lynn. Pete, I don't know if you can check if we're uh, having a problem with Lynn's line, but mid-sentence, I think we may have lost her. Let me just check with uh, with Pete if he can uh, hear me here. Pete, do you know if we've uh, lost... Ron, she, she dropped off. She just Her call just dropped. Okay. And all I have is can... all I have is a one 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 numbers for Skype, so I don't have a number to get back to her with. Sure, oh, understand. Okay, is. so I'm assuming she, there she is. Okay, right. good. Appreciate yeah. that. She's back. Hold on a second. Oh, come on. Great. Appreciate your keeping an eye on that, but it happens once in a while. Yeah, just talking about long-term care for those of you that uh, uh, maybe is. just tuning in. There she is, Lynn. Come on back in. You know that is the uh, most polite be, way. Before I go, leave. sure. Before I go, Ron, I want to say that this is a very good show. I wish I had known all this stuff when I was dealing with my parents. Believe me. Oh, I, not, I, yeah. It was oh, amazing. I, you know, you thought I did this show for me. It's for you. <laughs> Thank you. <It's, laughs> I mean, nothing like Sounds closing like the barn salesman. door. Nothing like closing the barn door when the horse is out. 
<laughs> have a great, <laughs> have a good finish. <laughs> All right, thanks much. Uh, no, I appreciate that. And and yeah, if you are going to leave a conversation, then that's the best way is while you're in the middle of a sentence. So it's not like Isn't you weren't it, listening though? to me. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> you 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 gentlemen were just bringing up a good point. So that that horse may may be, may be out of the barn, but frankly, the lesson to learn here is don't do that to your kids. Right. No, fair point. Uh, clearly, this is a you know keeps going from generation to generation. It's a one, not a one-time issue. So, uh, so very, very much so. All yeah. right. But you, one of the things you mentioned, I, I made myself a note here. You can buy these things in lump lump sum. Mm-hmm. Um, you can buy them, I assume, with some sort of annual uh, premium. Uh, but then you can have these linked benefits. Uh, just give me one example. Can I have long-term care that that's linked to a let's say a life insurance policy? And that was exactly what I was touching on. Thank you, Ron. Right. The, um, that lump sum, for example, would leverage up to maybe call it four times what you put in for the care. But if you get hit by the proverbial Mack truck and never use the care, it might leverage up to, say, three times that amount for your family uh, once you're gone. So it's a wonderful tool. Um, there are ways to even do that on a different basis. In other words, if you know you're going to retire in, say, seven years, and you've got the wherewithal to do, uh, you know, force feed the premiums, if you will, in for the seven years. It's kind of like having a seven-year mortgage. You know it's going to be paid up when you retire, and it's perfect. So there's there's different ways to, to do that. So. Now, if I don't link those, uh, then mm-hmm. when I think about insurance, I think most people do. They think of, well, they're just kind of something I need to do, but they're a waste of money because I, I'll probably never use them. Uh, but I happen to be one of those that hit my office burn just about through, almost exactly three years ago. And I was perfectly happy now to continue uh, wasting money on property casualty insurance in case that ever happens again or something similar. So does, if you don't have those linked benefits, is long-term care somewhat in that category that, uh, yeah, I put the money aside and the good news is I'm healthy and I don't need it? Um, it can be. There are plans that will refund the premiums if you pass before a certain age to your family. Um, generally speaking, it's 65 to 67. So if you're younger and you get it and and uh, something happens and you're no longer living, then they can get those premiums back. After that point, then the statistics start to ratchet up from the standpoint of you're needing the care and they no longer offer that benefit. So so there's lots of ways to do that with the, what we call the traditional long-term care. Um, but with the, with the linked benefits, they do get that death benefit and as a reminder, both the long-term care benefits and the life benefits are income tax-free when they come in. That's huge. Mm-hmm. One of the things I, I kind of uh, we steered this back to the long-term insurance uh, category just before we took kind of a uh, the, the one-minute break at the 40-minute the point, but you touched on some of the other strategies that you work with people on, like VA, uh, like the idea of allocating assets uh, so that it is helping the, the remaining spouse, those kinds of things. But you also touched on something called uh, critical care coverage. Can you tell mm-hmm. me what that is versus uh, t- a typical long-term care coverage? Critical care is the type of plan that will target specific illnesses. So, for example, if you are diagnosed with, and I'll just give you a list mm-hmm. as an example, um, cancer, um, you have a heart attack, or you, you're diagnosed with heart condition, or you have um, some sort of um, uh, illness like that in those lines, mm-hmm. and they give you specifics then once you are diagnosed, then you're eligible for those benefits. And those benefits can be um, paid to you, you know, on a monthly basis or they can be paid to you as a lump sum. And uh, it depends on if you're in care or out of care. If you're out of care and at home, you can get a certain amount. If you actually go into care, then that can ratchet up. It's, uh, it's really it, it's a little bit of a different animal, but here's the good news. It's an easier plan to qualify for for somebody who might, for example, know that they've uh, had they have a heart condition, but they're very concerned about maybe cancer and some other things because of their family history. They can get plans that target those conditions, and still have some coverage. Yeah, you just touched on something that uh, I had not thought of. So applying for long-term care is just like with health insurance or, or car insurance, or whatever. I may not qualify. And that's becoming more uh, the case these days, and again, not because the insurance industry is looking for ways to keep you out as much as medicine is finding ways to diagnose you sooner. So Mm -hmm. um, 
if you're say between 60 and 69 and a half, one out of four is not qualifying. Mm-hmm. So just because yeah, so I understand just because they found something out. Yeah, so you wait too long, and all of a sudden you're not able to get it. Yeah. Ooh, I had not thought about that aspect. If you're talking to somebody, when's the right age? I mean, <laughs> there's never never <laughs> one answer. Uh, I know that it, the answer is always depends. But you've been very good at, at giving us uh, good good statistics. You know, what's the right age to be thinking about this or getting the plan to avoid that kind of qualification issue? To avoid the uh, gee, I need the money for for living right now because I'm 30 or something like that, which I'm of course not, but I you know keep thinking I am. But, uh, you know, what, what's the right time to be thinking about it or to buy those kinds of policies? Well, and this is where there's a vast difference of opinion. I mean, some some planners say, wait until you're in your 60s. Well, I gave you one good reason that that's not a good idea. Um, and people will oftentimes say, you know, even later. But I, I generally try to get to people as early as I can because that means the cost of that coverage is going to be far less for the rest of their lives. Let's see somebody in their late 30s. I mean, the premiums are, mm. are so low that it's it's just uh, breathtaking how low they are. And if they uh, add them up over the next 40 years and then collect on the plan, you'd be surprised in a matter of six to eight months, once they have the need for care, they've been reimbursed all those premiums. So. Wow, interesting um, point. So a little bit, well, I guess life insurance is the same way. It's priced very differently when, uh, when you're young, uh, just because it's less likely to happen. But because it's accumulating and, and growing, then um, you know it's, it's it's cheaper to buy it earlier if you can. And the awareness level of clients now is starting in the 40s, and I'm delighted to see that because these are people that we can, generally speaking, we can help them. We can do the whole planning um, and uh, make sure that they've got everything in place properly. Hmm. Okay. Let me uh, let's let's remind our listeners how they contact you, how they find out more about you, in case they missed that at the very beginning. Uh, my uh, website is IWantMyLTC.net, and that's uh, mm-hmm. spelled out exactly as it sounds. IWantMyLTC.net, and the phone number is eight seven seven two seven zero three one two seven. If you like the old fashioned way to get in touch with me, I'm happy to receive phone calls. It's eight seven seven two seven zero three one two seven. Perfect. And I do like that website name. Uh, <laughs> uh, I want my LTC. I just great great name, easy to remember. That's how I knew I remembered how to get a hold of you because I'm usually driving the car when I you know when I was listening to the Ray show and then when I heard you I said, Well that's easy to remember. So it really did help. <laughs> now, we We've covered a lot of facets, obviously not everything, and we'll have to get you back. But what comments would you like to add or aspects that you'd like to emphasize for our listeners? Well, I'm delighted that that I was able to be on your show, Ron, because I think that you impart wonderful knowledge. I've listened to um, ever since uh, we've been in touch. I've been listening to your shows, and I'm just fascinated mm-hmm. by all the good data. And, and this is my role, is to educate people and help them make wise choices. And my motto is, taking um, good intentions and turning them into good decisions. Oh, I like that. I like that. Uh, would you, would you uh, add that buying earlier is better and to talk to somebody while you're still healthy is, is one of those things to kind of reemphasize, even though we just mentioned that? Uh, would that be one of the top things that you'd leave listeners with? Absolutely. Look into this as early as you can. Young and healthy is the best time. Very good. Really appreciate that. And I, it, really, you know, I learned a lot. As I said, I've taken a lot of notes here. My my uh, notes are scribbled all over the place. Some of which <laughs> I think I can read. But uh, you know, great statistics. We're not going to use in the future. So I appreciate that. And so I learned a lot. And hopefully, including Pete, uh, many of our listeners uh, will learn a lot, both uh, live as well as in the uh, on the archive. But I'm hoping you will join us again. We'll talk about some of those things, like the allocation strategy, and maybe a little bit more about the critical care. Uh, mm-hmm. some more about the spousal and the linked benefits, those kinds of things. So I hope this wasn't uh, too tough of a show on you, and you will join us again. I would be delighted, Ron. Thank you. Excellent. And uh, best of uh, best wishes to, to Ray as well next time you see him, which uh, is, is pretty often, I understand, lately. So uh, I always enjoy his show whenever I can listen. In. So, uh, and, I, and I'm glad you were on there when I was listening so that you know we got a chance to, if you will, meet and talk some more. So thank you for being here, Lynn. Thank you, Ron. Wow, this show has been a great example of not knowing what I didn't know. 
And now I know what I didn't know. Long-term care is a topic I really haven't had a chance to research, so it was easy for me to think through the many questions I have. I certainly hope we covered enough of the highlights to help you make a decision whether to do nothing, get more information related to your situation, and do it sooner than later, or just go ahead and buy long-term care insurance. As usual, that decision is yours to make. Our role at the Wealth DNA Radio Show is to help you become aware of financial products, fill in some of the gaps in your knowledge, and help you evaluate these products. Now, maybe the most important learning for me is that there are several ways to skin the LTC cat, and hopefully all of the cat lovers out there realize this is just a common re- expression not to be taken literally. When I use my father's example, please don't equate that with ignoring long-term care. I just made a conscious decision based on his health history, his health insurance, and my confidence I could generate sufficient returns on his portfolio that it wouldn't be necessary. But I didn't have him move in with me either. There clearly is a difference between doing nothing and choosing to pay long-term care expenses from your investment portfolio, which is, in essence, the equivalent of self-insuring. And if you listen to our prior show on Obamacare, and that was back in November 2013, you may recall I'm a fan of self-insuring, and I've been doing it for years, when you have the assets to absorb the risk. But when the government puts penalties in place as additional disincentives, the financial calculation changed for me. Which brings me back to the topic I raised during the introduction. The decision by the ECDB charge, ECB excuse me, to charge banks for maintaining excess reserves could have a significant impact on the European economy and inflation. Now, if the U.S. adopts a similar program, which I, of course, have been uh, pushing for, we could see a very dramatic expansion of economic activity and inflation worldwide. Now, I should add, this is my belief, And other experts, including Sinclair Noe, who was a recent guest of ours, feels that lowering that rate paid on excess reserves will not have much effect. Touché, Sinclair. We'll see. Nonetheless, notice how a single announcement made in a single day could dramatically affect your financial future. So if you drafted your financial plan 10 or 20 years ago, and you didn't foresee Obamacare tax penalties, the ECB's decision, and the potential of the Fed subsequently making a similar move, your portfolio could be in trouble. If you're counting on that portfolio to also cover your health care and long-term care, and you didn't forecast that health care costs would have risen double to triple what inflation has, then the projection of your portfolio outliving you might turn out to be, well, just, just wishful thinking. If I'm correct, and lowering the rate central banks pay on excess reserves parked with them as a dramatic effect on economic expansion, then most of the general rules espoused by financial planners might go out the window. For example, the general rule says that as you reach retirement, you should have far less in the stock market, real estate and commodities, and much more, if not all of it, in bonds and cash. And yet, a significant economic expansion like that I'm talking about, could drive stock market prices up, real estate up dramatically because of the inflation, which will destroy the value of those bonds and cash. So that very conservative portfolio you thought you were growing might be far riskier than holding 100% in stocks, real estate, and commodities. Now, the bottom line, it's important to recalibrate your financial plan as the economic assumptions change and your portfolio grows or shrinks more than expected. And it might just turn out that long-term care insurance makes sense for you now, even if it didn't seem to 10 or 20 years ago. Now, regular listeners know that our objective here is to share the investment fundamentals and inform you of investments that could help you build your portfolio. We want to help 1 million people become millionaires, and ideally, you'll be among them. The decision as to whether LTC insurance, as it's often called, is right for you just just like the decision to be wealthy or like the decision whether to listen to this radio show, it's clearly up to you. We think our job is to present the fundamentals, good ideas, opportunities, risks, and rewards. Now, if you missed part of this, excuse me, today's discussion, the link in the announcement will take you to the archived version. And, of course, you'll find the full list of shows, both past and future, on WealthDNA.us. I'd like to again thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area, for helping us put together this show for you.
Now, you won't want to miss our next show when we'll be talking about Gail Cunningham about managing your credit score. Whether you're applying for low-cost, fixed-rate financing while it's still available, and I recommend that highly, or applying for insurance, your credit score matters. A low credit score, even if it's due to a mistake on your credit report, will cost you money. Whereas having a great credit score will bring back happy days, just like the old TV series with the other Cunninghams. I certainly plan to be here when the Wealth DNA show that's coming up next on that topic is the fourth Monday of June, Monday, June 23rd, 9 a.m. Arizona. Time, of course, and same in the West Coast at the moment. Same place, same time. We always have the lineup of guests and topics on WealthDNA.us, and there you'll find the archive of past shows. If you have comments, questions, or if you haven't received my emails reminding you about the show, send me an email, ron at WealthDNA.us. We'll keep you posted about those future shows and events, and happy investing, and reaching a decision on how to cover your long-term care. DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started.